0: Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. Let's just wait while say smacks her bottle of nail polish against her hand. <laughs> Come on. Loosen up there. <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> Ready? Yeah.
0: All right. So this week...
1: Behind the scenes.
0: <laughs> our patron of the week this week is Nadia. And Nadia actually has this really cool... Um, I found her through Instagram because she tagged us, but her Instagram page is faunakids.ie and she makes apparently award-winning Irish organic children's clothing.
1: Oh, cool. Excellent.
0: And that's the noise my phone makes when I plug it into charge.
1: When you slap it.
0: Um, but, yeah, she <laughs> ma- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she makes hand-printed everything basically for children. I really think it looks cool. And when she signed up and I found her Instagram and all that, I sent it to my little sister because she's going to need stuff like that soon. Mm -hmm. So very exciting. And Nadia, thank you so much. You know, small businesses and all that. And yeah. Do we have news this week?
1: I sprained my ankle again.
0: Oh, yeah. Almost a year to the day.
1: Yep. Year anniversary. It's my ankle's gift to me.
0: (laughs) Oh, and I got a job. Oh, yeah so uh there's that
1: fantastic
0: fantastic what else oh i also have a social security number and it's
1: oh, shut up adam <laughs> i'm like adam stop telling people your social security number
0: i've never had one before i'm very excited about
1: it. oh that was my question to you so you guys don't have socials in ireland
0: no we have like it's it's just not called a social it's oh what's it called pps and like oh. i can't think of what that means yeah i'm sure it's something very yeah because
1: my friend was like do they not have social how do they identify them in ireland I'm like you know what i have no <laughs> idea i've never asked
0: yeah and i can tell you that too i actually know that one off my heart because mm-hmm. it's you know been the same one for forever yeah anyway yeah
1: and then they're get we're gonna get interviewed by a a person from immigration to make sure that we're not getting married for money for my billions and billions of dollars.
0: Yeah, because jokes on Dulce. Yay. I don't have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nothing yet. Yeah, so stuff is finally getting moving on my immigration thing, which feels great.
1: You've literally been with us for the ride. Yeah. Listeners.
0: For the first year of just sitting, waiting. Yeah. Now I can actually be.
1: Things are moving. A
0: 30-year-old man that. Has a job and can contribute. Things are
1: moving like a healthy bowel movement.
0: Yep. Sliding on down. All right. Um, And I think that's it. That's all of our personal news, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I still have an island and it's thriving. And as of today, K.K. Slider is coming to perform a concert on my island. He's a celebrity in the Animal Crossing world. (laughs) He's a little dog.
2: Oh, okay. And apparently
1: you can request real songs for him to play, like not just his songs from Animal Crossing. So when he gets there, I'm going to ask him to play Freebird, and I think he can play Freebird.
0: You've really done your research on this? Oh, yeah, I I watch a lot of
1: Animal Crossing YouTube.
0: (laughs) I want God is Dead by Black Sabbath. That's just been my fucking, like, go-to song for the last couple of weeks.
1: I saw a picture of someone requesting him to play Wonderwall. (laughs) <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, how did you get into my secret archives of songs that I can play?"
0: <laughs> yeah, my cousin Marcus was actually at uh, the Reading Festival this week. So the other day we were having a conversation in our music group on WhatsApp, and because you know we're we're thirty year old men, we talk about old fashioned rock and roll
1: just men via being men. WhatsApp.
0: But yeah, anyway, he ended the conversation with, "Anyway, here's Wonderwall," and it was an actual video of. Liam or no Gallagher, I can't tell the difference, singing Wonderwall at Reading like he had taken the video himself. Ah. Very funny.
1: Are they twins?
0: They're brothers. Oh, they but they are brothers. Each other. Yeah. yeah, so I yeah. heard. Alright, and with that said, oh, also my granddad finally got his cowboy hat. Nobody I... knew anything about that, but that is big news around this house right now.
1: It is. It's the hot topic.
0: Yeah, and he looks like a badass. He
1: looks bitchin'.
0: If enough people request it, We'll show you the picture. Yeah. Uh, And last thing, we did change our logo on Instagram and Facebook because it's officially spooky season, according to all of the pumpkin spice loving people on Instagram. And we've had this one when when Lindsay made our artwork for us, Mm because like, let's face it, we're still blown away every time we see it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I asked her to draw us up like a couple of different variations. And so we used the St. Patrick's Day one. We went green for that. And now we have the nice orange one for Halloween. Yeah. And I did post it and I asked if people were interested in merch. I got one comment that said, merch, merch, merch. <laughs> <laughs> but if there's enough Was that people. from Claudia? <laughs> no. Um... actually. <laughs> but if enough people do want it, just DM me on Instagram and I'll sort you guys out with whatever it is that you want. Um, I just don't want to go and. Do it if not, nobody wants it, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? DM us. We'll sort you out. This was actually supposed to be a shout out for Lindsay's art page, Art of Aquarius 27. And then I just got distracted talking about merch. So if you want to check out Lindsay's page, the fantastic artist behind our logo, Art of Aquarius 27 on Instagram. Go check it out. And today we are talking about murder
1: murder
0: yeah i'm also gonna say i actually worked really fucking hard on this one
1: (laughs) so hard balls to the wall this
0: felt like when i finally finished it last night Mm because i started working on it at seven o'clock yesterday morning Mm -hmm. like sorry no the other day i started working on it but yesterday i was like right i'll sit down i'll finish it in the next couple of hours i worked from like seven o'clock till 12 o'clock with my little adhd mind getting distracted by shiny things and instagram and then i was like shit i have to go do that fucking interview Mm -hmm. and then like go pick you up and stuff like that and then we came back and then i fell asleep and then i worked on it from like seven o'clock last night until 12 till 12 and i finally got it done and i was like right i'm proud of this one so i hope that translates and it's not just a fucking wall of words
1: to be fair you're proud of all of them yeah and like it's because you're, you're excited about it, Yeah, which is I,
0: dope. I am very excited about this one. I'm going to put a trigger warning here. This one deals with an almighty piece of shit. We're talking sexual assault, abuse, kidnapping, all that horrible stuff. My sources this week were jmdunbar.com, the Daily Beast, 48 Hours, Greenville Online, which is a, like a small-time paper, which was fantastic. CBS, NBC, ABC, TNW, WSPA, WBTW, Wikipedia, USA Today, YouTube, Videos, Galore, Dr. Phil, Coco.com, and the NY Post. Could have been others um, I didn't write down, but I'm pretty sure that's all of them.
1: And all the other alphabets.
0: Yeah. Our story begins the 3rd of November, 2016, basically yesterday. Woodruff, South Carolina. The police are searching property belonging to Todd Colehip. There was a Conex shipping container, you know, the one like a regular shipping container, mm. on the property that was suspiciously well protected with five padlocks. And they were trying to get in to see what Todd was hiding. After about 15 minutes of sledgehammering and angle grinding, one of the detectives yells out to stop. He thought he heard something. They knock on the side of the container only to hear someone knocking back and crying for help.
1: Oh my god.
0: This is all filmed oh, on wow. video, yeah. They managed to get the container open and inside they found a surprisingly calm Kayla Brown. She had chains around her neck and ankles and straight away police started questioning her as they worked to get her free. And in her shock state, she was so well composed and informative like Literally, I cannot say how amazing this girl did. This woman did. Kayla and her boyfriend, Charles David Carver, had gone missing on August 31st, 2016. As police were removing Kayla's chains, they asked her, Do you know where your buddy is, Charlie? He shot him. Who did? The police asked. And Kayla replied, Todd Hep shot Charlie Carver three times in the chest, wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, Locked me down here, and I've never seen him again. Whoa. Charlie, she meant, not Todd. But that's how, like, Composed sound of mind this this yeah. was. Like, it's amazing to watch it.
1: Well, I mean, she had to have had, like, tremendous hope yeah. that someone was going to find her. And she's like, all right, as soon as they fucking find me, this is what I'm This is them. what I'm saying.
0: So while the search of his property was going on, Cole Hep was being held by police at his own house because he had his house was just in a regular neighborhood, like 10 or 15 minutes away from this 95-acre plot Mm -hmm. of land that he had planned on building a house on he just hadn't gotten around to yet. And as soon as they got word, they arrested him. Todd loved every fucking minute of this. Mm. He was born in Florida on March 7th, 1971. Todd Christopher Colehead. He was raised in South Carolina and Georgia. His parents divorced when he was 2 and his mom kept him and Todd didn't see his dad again until he was around 10 years old. Around a year after his parents divorced, Todd's mom remarried and Todd and his new stepfather just never got along. Kind of a lot of this story is very stereoty- stereotypical. But from there Todd's behavior just got worse and worse.
1: That's crazy. Like, how the fuck are you knocking along with a three-year-old?
0: Right. Now, I, don't, I didn't see any, like, interviews with this man. Like, mm-hmm. he's basically unidentified. But he was supposed to be a horrible bastard.
1: That sounds like it.
0: Like, uh, there was one brief mentioning of him picking up the stepkids, which I guess were his own kids one day from school, and he didn't pick up Todd.
1: Oh, what Just, a dick. Yeah.
0: see, That seems to be, like, the first mention of him being really fucking upset. Like, not just pissed off, but actually upset about something like this. According to forensic psychologist Chris Mohandy, Todd was a serial killer in the making. Court documents showed that Todd was actually a little nightmare from as early as 15 months. His nursery school reports said that he terrorized other kids, broke their projects, and hit them. I mean, this, to me, is kind of very stereotypical stuff of, like, just a little asshole kid. Yeah. That, like, they would grow out of it. Mm -hmm. But really, like, typical shit. Like, this kid's playing with a toy. He's going to hurt them and get it. Mm -hmm. So he's just a little bully. But then he also went on to hurting animals. Apparently, he shot a dog with a BB gun.
1: Uh
0: I don't know if this was just a one-off thing. But his mom said that one day he decided he wanted a gerbil. And the mom told him, you already have a goldfish. So, no. He poured bleach in the fish tank.
2: (gasps) Oh, my God. Like, not
0: just a regular, I'm going to put the fish in the toilet or something. Like, he went out of his way. This seemed, like, particularly cruel. Mm-hmm. When his mom found out, she was like, why would, why would you do that? And he was like, well, I wanted a gerbil.
1: What and a sociopath.
0: Yeah, straight away. His mother, Regina Tag, or Reggie Tag, mm-hmm. which to me just sounds like a really fucking, that sounds like a musician's name. Yeah. Reggie Tag. She honestly seemed like a fairly normal lady when I started researching this and I was watching the different interviews. She like was very forthcoming with um, like details, just, you know, she's met with like 48 or 48 hours, the CBS mm-hmm. show and another news crew. And she was like, no, I just want to get my story out from one or two direct sources kind of mm-hmm. thing. But the more I watched it, like she uh, initially she just seemed to like really on the fence between. Like, loving her son as a mother and hating what he had done. But in the video I saw of her, she was telling how Todd used to bully other kids and just take whatever he wanted. And then she kind of casually mentions, like, oh, like, the time he stabbed a girl on the school bus with the scissors because she had made him mad. But then, like, she quickly jumps to his defense saying, I mean, it wasn't deep or anything. Mm. I'm sure it wasn't fucking life threatening, but like at the same time, you don't just go and stab a little girl with the scissors, like pulling her hair or like pinching them. Like you know, that's what kids do. Mm -hmm. Not fucking stabbing each other. He also got kicked out of the Boy Scouts. (laughs) I read that everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) The CBS article I read actually described her kind of perfectly as conflicted and loyal, and that. Like I said, that probably is the perfect way to describe her. But also, I think she may have been in denial. Mm. His behavior was continuing to get worse at home. And Regina describes how he used to sit on her lap and they would read the funny papers. And she said, oh, he was so smart, like from a very young age. She said he read the entire encyclopedia. Mm. And like she's telling as she's telling this, you kind of forget about the murderer part. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, you know, sweet little kid just laughing with his mom, you know, in a shitty situation with the stepdad. But all that just seems to have stopped at a certain age and he would start to act out. Regina said, quote, If he didn't like something I did, he'd find a way to get back at me. One time I did something and he didn't like it. And he stuffed all the bath towels down the commode and stopped it up and flooded the house. Regina even committed him to a mental hospital for three and a half months at one point for his behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that was to do with the stepdad saying, you need to get this kid out of here. I don't know. I just know that it happened. And the main reason was because apparently because he just couldn't get along with other children.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It obviously didn't fucking help him. (laughs) Yeah. It seemed anytime he would get angry, he would just start spouting off about wanting to go and live with his real dad, which... Again, seems like a fairly normal thing for a kid in this situation. But after one argument about not letting him go and live with his dad, Regina bought him all new furniture for his bedroom. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming she was like, I know, I'll treat him. I'll get him like a nice new room. You know, he'll stay with me because it probably hurt her as well. Yeah. Every time he was like, I'll go and live with my dad. Like, fuck you guys. But the next day she came home and Todd had taken a claw hammer to all of the new furniture, destroyed everything. Wow! And that was the last straw for her. She sent them off to Tempe, I think T E M P E in Arizona, I think, hoping it would straighten them out. And there was some confusion here for me. <laughs> there was some confusion, <laughs> um, like with dates. He finally went to live with his dad for a summer at the age of twelve. Regina had split with Todd's stepfather in 1982. And Cole Hep went over here. Him and his dad had like a lot in common and they bonded over the usual stuff like a 12 year old and his dad bond over like a love for firearms. Quality time where his dad would teach him such wholesome, wholesome lessons like how to blow things up and make bombs.
1: What the fuck?
0: Yeah. So his dad William Samso was a military veteran who claimed to be a special forces soldier, a mercenary, and an arms dealer. He owned a restaurant in town called Billy's, famous for ribs, Mm. where, according to the July 3rd, 1985 edition of the Arizona Republic, you could get all-you-can-eat ribs for $7.95 or a sandwich for
1: $2.75.
0: It's no longer there. I checked (laughs)
1: good prices
0: yeah for 1985 but did you like he also claimed that he was an arms dealer though yeah you know what I mean so So, it sounds like his dad kind of bigged himself up yeah would tell like you know
1: I I wonder which one's not true the arms dealer or did he work at a barbecue place
0: I know right well the (laughs) one thing that we do know is that he owned Billy's Famous for Ribs such a dumb name for a fucking
1: wait it's called Billy's Famous for Ribs
0: Billy's Famous for Ribs Wow, That's the name of the restaurant So I don't know whether it was Billy is famous for ribs Or Billy's famous for ribs Uh, I can't figure it out I still think it's a stupid fucking name (laughs) Um, I still think it's a stupid name (laughs) That's what I just said I'm too excited for this story I need to just concentrate on reading it Anyway Being a mercenary Military vet arms dealing Restaurant owner Billy's famous for ribs was quite a busy guy. (laughs) And apparently he had a lot of girlfriends and he would leave town a lot on business. I don't know what kind of business, perhaps arms dealing, perhaps ribs cooking, but he would just leave Todd alone in the house while he was off like gallivanting, shooting guns and cooking ribs. (laughs) (laughs) But nonetheless, Todd really felt like he connected to him. Really? Yeah. And, I guess, like, he had built this guy up so much over the years, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my dad's the coolest. He's in the fucking army. He'll blow you up. He'll cook your ribs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But when he eventually returned home to Regina after the summer, he was not happy at all. Like, at all. He told him that he was going to kill himself if she didn't let him go back and live with his dad. Like, this was his everything now. She eventually convinced him, like chill the fuck out you can stay here for the school year and then you can go back and live with your dad next summer but he actually went back permanently mm-hmm. to live with his dad and after a while this like amazing relationship that he had put so highly in his mind started to wear pretty thin like his father's absences became more frequent and todd found himself just alone in this house more and more
2: mm-hmm
0: that's not to say that he wasn't still a fucking nightmare of a kid. One neighbor in Arizona described him as, quote, a devil on a chain, whatever that fucking means. But she did say that he was noticeably starved for affection and attention,
2: hmm.
0: which was, I mean, I thought it was interesting because she then went on to describe how Hep locked her son in a dog kennel. And also one day, oh, I started rolling it around. It sounds like a fucking Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, it does. And th- this kid was, like, screaming, crying, naturally. And Cole Hep would just laugh at him. On another occasion, he just smacked this kid's head off a clay pipe over and over again. The whole uh. time, just laughing at the kid, crying. Like, it just sounds like a horrible, horrible bully. Yeah. And after a couple of years, Cole had started to talk about wanting to move back to his mother's. Mm-hmm. But apparently his mom kept putting this off and he definitely didn't like that. In my head, I'm assuming that she was probably just finally getting her, her life back to fucking normal. I know that she was with like a new partner, yeah. possibly remarried by this stage. I know she did eventually. So and at
1: this point, how old was he?
0: He's getting to be around 14 or 15. Okay. There's so much detail about Cole Hep's early life that I literally spent hours going through different, different articles just about his adolescent years. Why do you think that might be? Why? Okay, brace yourselves. Like, actually, this isn't a joke. Like, it's about to get really fucked up. Okay. In November of 1986, while his father was supposedly on a business trip in Nebraska, Cole had knocked on the door of a neighbor's house where he knew a 14-year-old girl lived. They were in school together. I don't know what he told her, but he managed to get her outside of her house and into the alleyway next to her house. And that's when he pulled a gun on her. He forced the girl back down to his own house. And apparently he actually pulled the trigger on this gun while they were walking. But the gun misfired. I don't know whether this was a scare tactic and he hadn't loaded the gun. Mm -hmm. Or whether it was a genuine accident. I don't know. But when he did get her back to his father's house, he made her go to his room where he tied her hands with a rope. Covered her mouth with duct tape. Placed a knife beside her on the bed and raped her. She was only 14. That's awful. He then walked her back to her house and told her that he was going to kill her younger brother and sister if she told anyone about this. At the time, she was actually at home. Like she was the oldest kid, I guess. And she was taking care of her younger brother and sister. The little brother knew something was wrong because all of a sudden his big sister wasn't there. Yeah. And when he couldn't find her, he called the police in a panic saying that she had just disappeared. Officer Betsy Cable had gone straight to the house to see what was going on. And as she was trying to get some information out of this little lad, in she walks, visibly shaken. Yeah. Like, after Cole had, I guess, dropped her back off at the house. And she told Officer Betsy everything.
1: Good for her. Like,
0: literally, this Officer Betsy being there... Was just such a blessing, you know what I mean? Can you imagine, obviously, having gone through all that, but to walk in and find someone like that in your house, a woman as well, you know? Yeah,
1: it's good, because she might have lost her nerve maybe later. Exactly,
0: yeah. Yeah. She told her fucking everything. Officer Betsy called for backup and went straight over to Todd's house when they arrived. At first, Todd just didn't open the door. And then eventually, he did, but he greeted officers with a rifle. Now he wasn't aiming it at them, he was just casually holding this rifle as if oh you just caught me in the middle of cleaning my gun. Yeah. This is a different gun to the one that he had pulled on um, this little girl. Mm-hmm. And he only asked officers two questions. What's going to happen to me and how much time am I going to get? No concern for anyone like at all. He, he doesn't even really seem to be that concerned for himself. He's just like, yeah. alright. Very
1: matter of fact.
0: Yeah, like what, what the fuck, what are you going to do now? Like. He was brought in for psychiatric evaluation to determine his mental state before being sentenced and all of his previous behaviors were taken into account, ultimately leading to him being tried as an adult. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, I'm very impressed that they did this. Yeah. The doctors who evaluated him said more or less that the longest he could be sentenced to, or actually it might've been the judge that said this, pretty sure it was actually, but anyway, the longest he could have been sentenced to as a juvenile was three years or even less. And it was to go in through some, like, one of these programs where they, like, you know, re-educate the kid and blah, blah, blah. And they said, and even, like, it would take longer than three years to get him into this program. You know? Mm-hmm. So, that, and they didn't think it was work. It would work. Yeah. Because they had looked into his background. Like, he had already done, like, that three months in in a mental
1: in Tempe. Um,
0: thing. No, no, no. That was just in in a hospital, in a mental hospital. okay. Also, I did Google the PC term for mental hospital, and Mm -hmm. that's what came up. So, because I know it's not like asylum or anything, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. All right, I believe you.
0: (laughs) I know, but it just feels like a harsh fucking term, you know? Yeah. Anyway, maybe it's just a snowflake in me. So at the end of it all, at 15 years old, Todd Kohlhepp was sentenced to 15 years in adult incarceration.
1: In big boy jail.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Todd was sentenced to 15 years in big boy jail. Thank you. Without the possibility of parole. Wow. Yeah. While he was awaiting his trial, though, his probation officer said once they got him in jail,
1: because mm-hmm.
0: he didn't leave. Once they found him at the house, that was it. Yeah. He was locked up. Neither his biological father his stepfather, nor his mom wanted to reclaim any responsibility for him. Wow. Quote, it is obvious at this time that Todd has no family support system. That was initially, but over the next year, while he was in jail waiting to be sentenced, mm-hmm. his mother suddenly struck up this fucking golden relationship with him. Super weird, right? His mother actually wrote a plea for leniency. Why? She said that her son had put his biological father on a pedestal and took everything his father said as, quote, absolute truth. Yeah, so basically she wrote in saying, oh, it's all his father's fault. Like he's filling them full of fucking lies and bullshit, Uh which has nothing to do with what happened. Yeah, It, it actually sounds like her passing the blame off. But then she goes on to say, you know, it's strange. Maybe a little good does come from some bad. She tells that she was actually a court reporter. Mm -hmm. Which is true. I checked. And she said that she saw lots of cases and quote, never have I seen this happen to a 15 year old child and not even any help offered. They don't stop to think that he even walked the girl home. Does that sound like a dangerous criminal? He even walked the girl home. Which I mean is jaw dropping.
1: That is another level of delusion. Right? Yeah.
0: So he's not a monster. He walked the little girl home. Yeah. He walked the little girl home to prove that he knew where she lived and that he was going to go in there and kill her brother and sister if she told anybody about what he did.
1: Right. So I could murder 20 people in a murder spree, but I'm good because I paid my taxes.
0: You're not far off what this (laughs) fucking interview goes on to say. Yeah. So Todd spent 14 years in prison because he had already spent a year in jail. While awaiting sentencing. And he was a prick. Believe it or not. He got seven violations on his record. In the first three or four years. And then around 1991. He must have realized. That it was just better to keep his head down. And he received a bachelor's degree. And worked in the prison vocation scheme. Or something like that. He kept active anyway. And he was able to build up. I think they got paid something like $45 a month. For whatever he was doing.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And he went to school. So he got his degree.
1: Oh, hello there. If you are here, that means you are wanting to hear a legend from long ago, right? Or maybe a spooky cryptid sighting that's happened recently. Well, if that's the case, we got you covered. My name's Kimmy, and I'm here with my co-host, Ryan.
0: Hey, guys. Come take a seat around the
2: fire and listen to a What's that? What's a loring? Well, it's a folklore
1: podcast where we tell you the stories and legends of different lore from around the world. Some stories are spooky, and some will make you chuckle. But no matter the tale, we'll let you know about the creature, history, characteristics on our comedy podcast. And for all you creatives out there, we have art prompts for every episode that encourages you to create something inspired from the lore we discuss. Whether it's a drawing, a photograph, a story, or even a song, we encourage you to create something well alluring.
2: So when you're ready, you can listen to us wherever podcasts are heard. And remember, that's alluring.
0: A-L-O-R-E-I-N-G. A bi-monthly comedy podcast about folklore and legends from all around the world. Upon his release in 2001, Todd, now aged 30, moved back to South Carolina to be close with his mom. And like that, I think their relationship really bloomed over the 15 years. Mm-hmm. Because, for one, the mom didn't have to deal with him. Yeah. And she's literally the most delu- yeah delusional is the right word for it. The mm-hmm. most delusional person I've ever fucking come across. She is looking through like these rose colored glasses.
1: That or she's just so guilt ridden that she'll just spew any nonsense.
0: Maybe, maybe. But anyway, he was placed on the sex offender registry and his mom said that she set up everything so that he could just come back and like have a job kind of waiting for him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He could become a productive part of society. His past was behind him. Get on with this new life. Mm-hmm. And she really believed that. In January 2002, he started work as a graphic designer and he also started attending more college classes in 2003, which eventually led to a bachelor's degree in business administration slash marketing. Also in 2003, Todd thought it was time to treat himself to a nice new motorcycle. He'd always wanted one. So he moseyed on over to Superbike Motorsports, which is the name of the shop. Hm. And every time I heard name, I was like, it's just two random words. Superbike. <laughs> Superbike Motorsports. Get some. But this, this business actually sounded really nice. Mm-hmm. It was like the go-to spot for motorbikes and ATVs. And it was a family-owned business with only, I think, four employees. But it seemed like anyone who was anyway interested in bikes or anything motorsports related, they would just go there and hang out, spend time.
1: Oh, so it was a hangout spot.
0: Pretty much, like because it seemed to be the only place around this area for this, like, where you could get your like motorbike stuff. And one guy in particular, um, said he literally just started going there and eventually became friends with the guys just because so many people would just hang out there. Uh, Like not even necessarily buying, like you're not going to buy a motorcycle every day, but just going and shooting the shit about like anything, man stuff like engines and Mm -hmm. the smell of leather. But he said it was actually such a friendly environment that like when he would be leaving in the evenings, he'd go straight there after work, shoot the shit for a little while. And then as he was going, he'd be like, all right, love you guys. And they'd be the same thing like it was mm-hmm. reciprocated. And like I said, it, it just sounds like a nice place to go hang out. Kohlhepp picks out this. I, I don't know exactly what model sports bike it was. I really tried to find it. But he puts down a thousand dollars deposit and he has them deliver it to the apartment complex where he was wor- or living at the time. And then over the next two weeks, he had gone back to Superbike Motorsports because there was a problem and he needed to return the bike. Problem was, Kohlhepp had never ridden a motorbike. (laughs) He didn't know how to drive a motorbike. Yeah. And he realized this a little bit too late when he got this beautiful, like, probably fucking Kawasaki 1200 gigantic engine motorcycle and realized it was just going to sit there. So he goes back and he said, look, I need to either return this or swap it for something smaller. Mm hmm. He had financed the bike. Like I said, he put down a $1,000. So, like, there was all sorts of contracts and complications. It wasn't just as simple as, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Here, take this one. We'll take that one. But according to Todd, the guys made fun of him. And I'm sure they did make fun of him because he fucking deserved to be made fun yeah. of. Like, he, he did a stupid thing and thought, like, I'm this cool guy. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like a twat when I went into Honda over by Corey's house that day because i went in looking for a bike and i don't know how to ride Mm -hmm. but i was asking them like details on pricing and stuff like that and straight away i was like look i don't know anything about bikes or anything and the guys are really friendly but if i had gone in and been like yeah i know bikes my dad used to ride with lance armstrong they'd be like okay knobhead that's an in between us joke
1: oh
0: that joke didn't oh that show i don't like and (laughs) never watch well it's a funny joke (laughs) Editing that out. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm pretty sure Todd probably wasn't that nice when he went back demanding his money back or an Mm. exchange. Mm -hmm. But we only have Todd's word for it, right? Right. If you can hear that, that's the rain that's.
1: If you can hear that, gold star.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, 14 days after he had the bike delivered, it miraculously disappeared from his apartment complex. Nobody ever saw it again. He tried to blame Superbike. Say, oh, those guys are a chop shop. They're not a legit business. But anyway, he filed a police report and even the cop laughed at him. Saying he never even got his registration sticker in the mail. It solved Todd's problem, though. Nobody looked twice at this report. The bike was stolen. End of story. Not end of story for Todd, though, because he was still upset because those mean boys at the bicycle shop laughed at him.
1: Well, doesn't he still have to pay for it?
0: No, he was insured. Oh. I'm assuming. I'm like, Otherwise, I'm sure it wouldn't have just gone missing like that, you know?
1: Oh, I guess. He wasn't very bright, though.
0: Well, apparently he did enough to cover his tracks.
1: Yeah. Weird. Enough to cover your tracks, but not enough to learn how to ride a motorcycle.
0: Before buying a fucking top grade one, yeah. So anyway, he was still upset. So on November 6, 2003, after attending one of his college classes, he heads back over to the bike shop and he shoots and kills Scott Ponder, the owner, Beverly Guy, who was Scott's mother and bookkeeper, Brian Lucas, who was Scott's best friend and service manager, and Chris Sherbert, who was the mechanic and who was said to be the best mechanic around. Mm -hmm. These were, I mean, Beverly Scott was Scott's, Beverly Guy was Scott's mother. She was a little bit older. But Scott was a young dude. And so were Brian and Chris. And they all had kids. Like young kids. Noel Lee, the guy who used to spend his time hanging out at the shop. He called in after work, as usual. And he finds all these bodies lying around. And he calls 911 and says, noticeably in shock when he he makes this call. He says, apparently everybody's been shot up here. Everybody's laying down in a pool of blood. His mama's been shot. The mechanic's been shot. And so the police rush over. Scott Ponder, like I said, the owner, his wife, Melissa, was actually seven weeks pregnant at the time. This is, this is re- a really sad detail. She said, quote, He got to go to the first ultrasound with me on Tuesday, and by Thursday, he was dead. That poor lady, like, obviously, she just lost her husband and the father of her soon to be born child but her life was fucking ruined because of the police not only did she lose her husband but when the baby was around 6 months old she gets a call from police saying that they had tested one of the baby's old diapers for DNA and it didn't match Scott's the reason they did this is because some fucking randomer called in and told them that Scott was sterile so they zack wagons themselves to the conclusion that Melissa had been having an affair and wanted Scott out of the picture and things just got out of hand she denied this and demanded that they do another DNA test this time they swabbed the baby's mouth and it was the same result no relation to Scott Ponder this was a smaller town and the rumours just spread like wildfire everybody was blaming uh, Melissa Scott's grandmother actually died believing that Scott's son was not her great-grandchild. Turns out, the police had actually mislabeled Scott's blood in the lab. They had, like, several vials of blood from the bodies. They had been testing Scott's baby's DNA against the mechanic's blood. Melissa cleared her name and then moved the fuck away. Literally, this poor woman, like, can you imagine going through all that? Yeah. Only to have, because the guy who found them was suspect number two,
2: mm-hmm. Noel
0: Lee. And he said he'd be standing in line at the grocery store and everybody would just be watching him whispering behind his back, like, oh, he did it, you know, like he said he found them, but really he did it.
2: Mm-hmm. This
0: kind of bullshit. And so the case remained unsolved. Melissa was suspect number one, Noel Lee was suspect number two, and they obviously made a balls of Melissa's thing. And Noel was just wrong place, wrong time. And Cole Hep went on about his business. In March 2006, he received a private pilot's license. This could have happened a little bit later, but it's irrelevant. In May of that year, he applied to take a real estate exam and apparently just lied about being a registered sex offender who had served 15 years for the rape of a small child. What he apparently told them was that, oh, that felony on my thing? Yeah, no, that, me and my girlfriend at the time, we had a heated argument. He explained Kohlhepp's dog got loose. He's like, oh, my dog got loose and the two of us went out to look for it. The girlfriend's parents were worried because they couldn't reach her and so they called the police. They overreacted and called the police. Kohlhepp laid out a case that specifically addresses the elements of a kidnapping charge because he had a firearm quote, because of his alleged concern over gangs in the Phoenix area. And he told his girlfriend, his imaginary girlfriend, don't move while we talk this out. So that got misconstrued by the courts to a kidnapping situation. This is the lie that he fabricated. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Like, yes, of course. We don't mind that. So in January of 2007, he bought himself a house on Winding Way, or, or Windsong Way, it was called, which he ran his real estate business from. And he eventually had like up to 10 employees. Like, and it was a... Successful real estate business. And according to the people he worked with, he is described as a quote, domineering, egocentric bragger who talked about his BMWs and guns and how well he knew how to shoot them. And I guarantee you, he is the biggest gun nerd douchebag I have ever heard in my life. If his cars had bumper stickers, I can almost guarantee there were those little assault rifles with the come and take it thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Like one, 100%. The more I read about this, the more I was like, I fucking hate this guy. Douchebag. But these people that he worked with were like his customers and his clients and stuff. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. even. And they were, as soon as people met him, this is, they just knew. One woman, her friend suggested, oh, like, you need to sell your house. This is the guy who I sold my house to. But the friend said something like, this guy's a fucking douche, but he sold my house pretty quick and he was decent to work with. Give him a try. So she went to him and said, quote, I had an adverse reaction to him. He made me feel uncomfortable and I will never doubt my intuition. That was within seconds of meeting this man. Yeah. Even an assistant pastor who rented a house from him said he was, quote, a creepy dude. Just someone who makes everything about himself. Someone that just talks a lot about money and a lot about how many people work for him. I always sensed when I was around him that I needed to stay close to him. He was someone that you needed to manage his presence around you so you don't get managed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that guy was a fucking assistant pastor. That's <laughs> you know? crazy. I know.
1: That reminds me of the term uh, social engineering.
0: Like where you have to be overly conscious of every move that you make. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you're right. It reminds me that's how that dune, the, the novel dune, Yeah. that's basically how that whole book is written. It's like you have to know how to sit in a room to command authority and all this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Very much like that. I feel like I'm like just rambling through all these notes just because there's so much. I feel like I'm just jumping from one thing to the next, like super fast. No, but as well, I, I, you know how much I love a good timeline. Mm-hmm. So I was really trying to get like, Everything okay, in 2008, order. 2003. What, yeah. And anyway, in 2008, he graduated from USC. With his second degree, the, the business one. He was always very active on Facebook with a lot of other like minded wankstains in groups such as Round Up All the Illegal Immigrants and Send Them Back. And he's just a very stereotypical middle aged white male, you know?
1: Middle aged Republican.
0: Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. So in 2014, he purchased the 95 acre tract of land near Woodruff for around $300,000 and then proceeded to spend supposedly $80,000 on a chain link fence to surround the property.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: There's no denying this man obviously had a decent amount of money or at least was friendly enough with certain banks and he knew how to mortgage properly. But by the looks of things, he was building himself a proper compound. Like, is the dream of these middle-aged white Republicans. Or a lot of them, at least. On September 13th, 2014, he left three reviews on Amazon. SOG, Entrenching Tool, F08. Any thoughts on what that might be? No. It's a fucking folding shovel. What the fuck? Entrenching Tool, F08. You know these gun-loving, tactical, fucking nerd assholes love changing names and adding numbers for no fucking reason. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's a pool cue? (laughs) Excuse you? This is the Ball Smacker 2004.
1: Like, get the man.
0: fuck out of here, you knobhead! Does the same thing anyway. Sorry, <laughs> I really need to rein it in because oh, I just fucking hate these guys. This is <laughs> this is why I didn't want to buy a truck for so long. I just didn't want to look like another big fat gun loving nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so he gave this shovel five stars, and it says, "Quote: Keep in the car for when you have to hide the bodies." and you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. Then, the Husqvarna 455 Chainsaw. Five stars. Works excellent. Getting the neighbour to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without having an easy chainsaw to use. Then the SOG Pentagon Fixed Blade Knife. Four stars. Haven't stabbed anyone yet. Yet. But I am keeping the dream alive, and when I do... It will be with a quality tool like this. Mm. Master padlock. Five stars. Solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they're too old to care. So these are kind of like just cringy fucking yeah. dad jokes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: December 22nd, 2015. Megan Lee mccraw Coxey and her husband, Johnny joe Coxey are reported missing. Now, this is particularly sad. Like, obviously, all these cases are very sad, but both of these people had been in trouble with the police over various crimes. They both had really bad heroin problems by the Mm -hmm. sounds of things. But Megan had just recently been locked up because she had a baby. And in her very early stages of pregnancy, she was using heroin while pregnant. Mm hmm. The baby was found to have traces of heroin in its system. So social services came in, took the baby away, and she got arrested for neglect. Meanwhile, Johnny Joe, or I think they just call him Johnny, he had been arrested on some other charges. They were in prison around the same, or sorry, in jail around the same time. But Megan's mom bailed her out because Megan said, look, I've got a job lined up. I I can do this. Don't worry about me. And she had only been released four days prior to being reported missing with her husband. Cole Hepp had met Megan because... It's Megan or Megan, I'm honestly not sure. Because she was a waitress at the Waffle House where he used to frequent. And by the looks of things, he put away his fair share of waffles. I couldn't find the article when I was looking for it, but I did read at some stage throughout the fucking research for this that another waitress at the Waffle House... So she was so creeped out by Hep that she eventually just stopped taking his order. Mm -hmm. And when she would see him come in, she would go and hide in the back and get the cooks to come out, take his order and bring him his food. Yeah. That's how uncomfortable this piece of shit made her. So that was December 22nd, 2015. August 31st, 2016. CCTV shows Charlie Carver leaving work on a Thursday evening. Him and his girlfriend, Kayla, We're supposed to go and meet Kayla's friend for dinner. The friend of Kayla had never met Charlie and things were moving pretty fast with them. Mm -hmm. So Kayla really wanted to introduce them. They never made it to that dinner. Mm -hmm. Charlie was reported missing on September 3rd by his mother and a separate report was made two days later for Kayla. Charlie's ex-wife, Nicole, or Nikki, She had gone to the apartment that he shared with Kayla and she found the door unlocked. Kayla's Pomeranian had been left with no food or water. And for some reason, Nicole took the laptop. Charlie's laptop. Mm -hmm. This is a lot of the reports started to kind of get a little bit muddy here. Like, I felt like every article I read, it was somebody else found the house first Mm -hmm. with the door unlocked and the dog in there. But as far as I could make out, Nicole took his laptop, for one reason or another. When the police eventually went to check on the apartment, they noticed that neither of the cars were there. On September 9th, nine days after they had been last seen, the police requested Kayla and Charlie's cell phone records. September 11th, Charlie's mother passed on messages that she had received from Kayla's phone, saying Charlie had called her from a Myrtle Beach hospital. And also that Charlie's car had been found at the Greenville Spartanburg International Airport, but police went there, checked all the car parks and found nothing. Mm -hmm. September 15th. Todd Colehead posts on his Facebook, quote, reading the news, this missing person thing, that person missing, another person missing. Oh, wait, that person just went to the beach with a friend or the other person was found with her parole violating boyfriend. In the event that I become missing, please note, no one would take me. Most likely, if I am missing, it's because my dumbass did something on that track there yet again, and I'm too stubborn to go to a doctor. I got nine lives. I ain't done yet. I can smell the Cheeto dust
2: (laughs) from his fucking keyboard
0: right now. (laughs) September 21st. Police receive a call from someone reporting strange activity on Charlie's Facebook, including private messages saying that he was okay but he needed money to be transferred to Nicole, right, his ex-wife, yeah, police apparently traced this back to Nicole's i p address, but I'm starting to think the more I look into this that this may have been a rumor, although she was eventually charged with impersonating with impersonating a police officer, supposedly in an attempt to locate Charlie's phone herself Nicole. I think maybe she thought Charlie and Kayla had just run off to elope or something. I don't know how finalized this divorce was, Mm -hmm. but apparently when Kayla and Charlie got together initially, there was a lot of fucking just bad blood. Anyway, so I think maybe she was just trying to, like, secure her alimony or something like that. I literally couldn't find any other mention of her. Like, I looked into the charges pressed.
1: So is that why she got the laptop? Because, like, what, two thousand? 16 you can send messages with a laptop
0: yeah exactly and the police said that they traced the facebook activity back to nicole and she was requesting that people send her money to her account yeah but then they did nothing about it so i don't Mm -hmm. know how true that actually is or whether it was just rumor i see but what is a fact is that there were messages from charlie's account pretending to be nicole that they kind of came across almost too obvious. Mm -hmm. Like somebody was trying to set Nicole up. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, so this is where all... What what kind of messages were they?
0: Stuff saying, like, the only person that really matters to me knows where we are and stuff like that. And just leading people to think that Nicole had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. So although Nicole's activity was suspicious, it also seemed like somebody was gearing this investigation towards her. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll I'll get the pictures. There's a lot of screenshots and stuff online. Mm-hmm. I'll try and get them. I was looking into the charges pressed against her and I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether it just got thrown out of court in the heat of things or whatever. But a friend of Kayla's did say that when Charlie and her moved in together, um, she felt like she was being stalked by Nicole. Like she would see her sitting outside the house and stuff like this at uh-huh. like all hours of the night. So it's definitely not like just black and white. This like there's there was something fucking weird happening with Nicole
2: Mm -hmm.
0: throughout this whole thing. September 22nd and the requested cell phone records that had been requested on the 9th finally came in. They were returned to the police department and officers were able to confirm that Kayla and Charlie had been together when they disappeared on August 31st. September 24th. Also apologies for the amount of dates. A post on Charlie's Facebook reads, quote, sometimes late at night, I dig a hole in the backyard to keep the nosy neighbors guessing. Another one from the same day reads, end gun violence now. Bring back the sword. Right. And these are like memes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: A very specific type of sense of humor, though, right? Mm -hmm. October 1st. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back. For the place I was before. Relax, said the nightman. We are programmed to receive. You can check out anytime you like. But you can never leave. Recognize it? Yes. <laughs> that was posted on Charlie's Facebook.
2: hmm.
0: Super fucking random. These lyrics were posted on Charlie's page, along with a load of retroactive changes to his profile. So somebody went back in his profile and claimed that on July 1st, Charlie and Kayla were expecting a daughter. They said that on August 1st, they had bought a house and on September 1st, they got married. So they're like, I think you could still do that on Facebook, right? Like life events or something. Oh, I don't know. So that's what was done, but all on the same day, all on October 1st all of these posts were made as well as reposting and sharing all of the family's prayers and missing posters. Like there was Facebook pages brought up, you know, like help us find Charlie and Kayla type things. And it was like mocking them. Mm-hmm. Charlie was, or somebody from Charlie's Facebook page was sharing all these things like, mm-hmm. Oh, please find me. In the meantime, another post said something along the lines of like, people should keep their noses out of our business. and. Like those weird ass messages where the person would try and make out that they they were Nicole, Mm -hmm. the ex-wife. October 13th, someone calls into the police saying that a man they knew said he saw Kayla the day before she went missing and that she was buried on a hundred acre property in Spartanburg. Only then do investigators start looking through Kayla's Facebook. They found messages stating that Kayla and Charlie were going to meet Todd Colehep on August 31st at his home in Moore and that he would take them to a property to work outdoors for the day. Detectives began researching Colehep and discovered that he owned a 95 acre property in Woodruff.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to put in my two cents here. The police were doing a fucking terrible job at this point. Mm-hmm. like, they knew somebody was active on this person's Facebook, this m- missing person's Facebook. They hadn't even requested access from Facebook or asked for location records or anything. The article that I was reading, I can't, I, honestly, one of those fucking links in it, they actually messaged Facebook as they were writing the article and said Facebook got back to them within 90 minutes laying out the procedures of what police have to do in order to access their stuff. Mm-hmm. So they could have had these records or Mm -hmm. proof of who was sending this shit or where the things were coming from within like three or four hours. But they were like, oh, I mean, you know, we would have to get in touch with Facebook and then Facebook would have to get in touch with us. And I I mean, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Literally, that was how the fuck, like I've watched these interviews now with the police. And I'm just like, fuck you, man yeah Cause now they're basking in the glory of Kayla being found, yeah, like well, it's a good thing we were there, good honest working men i it just it this whole case made me very fucking angry, mm-hmm. but like I said, this whole thing could have been solved a lot fucking sooner if they had just done their job
1: well what what police ends? uh where where is this uh
0: so it was the Spartanburg and Anderson police department in South Carolina okay. Either way, it just seemed like they didn't fucking care. Yeah. They just assumed that this was uh, another young couple, probably got involved in drugs or just ran off, whatever. So on October 18th, five days after this tip came in, saying that the people are buried on this property, Mm -hmm. two detectives from the Anderson Police Department met with detectives from the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office. Investigators pulled phone records from Todd Colehep that pinged from the same location as Charlie and Kayla on the same day. So when they got this, they flew a drone over Cole property and also flew over in a helicopter. They found nothing unusual. So November 3rd, they finally got search warrants and went to Todd Hepp's home and the Woodruff property separately, where they would find Kayla Brown, thankfully still alive and locked inside the shipping container. One of the first things she told police was how Charlie had been shot and that Cole had told her of four other victims buried on the property. In the ambulance, she started telling police everything that had happened to her in the last two months, and I'll give another trigger warning here for sexual abuse. Her first two weeks were spent with her hands cuffed behind her back, chains around her ankles and neck, in complete darkness in the shipping container. Kohlhepp would show up every day between 1 and 3 o'clock, take her into the main building, which had chains set into the walls upstairs. He would feed her, make her do whatever he wanted sexually, and then lock her back in the shipping container. He would usually repeat this later on in the evening, typically between 5 and 7. In Kohlhepp's mind, he never raped her. Okay, And he has written this in letters, saying, I never did that. She was willing. Kayla said that if she refused to do something, he wouldn't force himself on her, but he made it very clear that he only kept her here to serve a purpose. And if she, quote, wasn't useful, then she wouldn't need to be kept any longer. He also bragged to Kayla about the superbike murders. This case had gone cold and it was almost 13 years to the day that it happened. That those families never found out. Kayla was the one who broke the news. And I bet those detectives thought they had hit the fucking jackpot. Kohlhepp told her, as well, that he was a, a government-hired hitman and that his time spent in prison was actually spent traveling internationally as a paramilitary contractor. And that when he came home, he just couldn't stop himself from killing. He said his total kill number was currently in the high two digits, but his dream was to make it to the triple digits and that if Kayla behaved right, she could become his partner. The poor woman, when she said that, her face literally, like, the look of disgust. She was like, I I don't want that. Like, even just telling police about this. He kept telling her that Stockholm Syndrome will eventually kick in and that she will learn to love him and not want to leave. When I heard that, like, my mind went straight back to the teenage part of the story where the neighbor said... He was so fucking lonely and desperate for attention.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, it is really sad. I'm not fucking condoning anything that he did. But it's literally nothing has changed throughout his whole life. He's still crying out for love or a relationship or at least his idea of what that's supposed to be. Yeah. You know. Cole Hep had purposely gotten Kayla to come out there that day on August 31st with Charlie. When Kayla had done work for him previously, because he would call her and say, oh, you know, one of my properties is about to get rented out or we're going to have a showing or something. Can you head on over there and like just clean it up and get it to look right? And I'm pretty sure he would pay cash. So it was just a nice handy number. And normally she would bring a friend. But this time he requested that she bring Charlie specifically, saying because it's his own private property, he would rather not have a stranger. He didn't want people knowing where he lived and she figured like oh yeah i guess that makes sense you know because they had originally said they were going to go out on like the tuesday but charlie had to work so he said okay we'll come out on friday or, or whatever day it was when they got there he went into a shed saying that he had to get um the gardening materials But when he came back out he just took charlie by surprise and shot him three times in the chest he told kayla it was a scare tactic so she would basically have to do what he told her to. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, I took somebody that she loved. That's how this works. In Colehep's head, every single one of his victims was a criminal. In a letter he wrote to the New York Post, he claimed that he was actually trying to save Kayla, saying that she was as big a criminal as he was, blaming her for ending up in this situation. My next note is, he is a wankstain. And he is. But I will say, Not to judge a book by its cover or anything like that. But this Charlie guy, Kayla's uh, boyfriend, he looked like a a really nice guy. You know what I mean? Like, I know when people, when you describe somebody, it's like, oh, he had tattoos and piercings on his face. And I'm sitting here like, yeah, but I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a cuddly, fucking chubby bear. Charlie just looked like a regular, Regular maybe, regular maybe little goofy. You know what I mean? From the pictures that are yeah. sound like, but just a nice guy. He didn't look like he was going through any like drug problems or anything like that, you know? And they just weren't going out there to get a little extra cash. So when Cole got to prison, he said "He's something along the lines of, look, I'll be compliant, but first I, w- I have to talk to my mom. I want to give her a photograph and I want to transfer money to a friend's kid's college fund. Cause you know, he's, he's the big guy. With all the money. Yeah. got to look after everybody. They let him talk to his mom. I don't know if they let him do the rest of the stuff, but he was allowed to talk to his mom. And when he got in there, she said his eyes were bulging out of his head. He was in tears. He was slobbering, basically. Tell, like, I'm so sorry. Told her everything he had done. And by the sounds of things, just like a spoiled little kid made himself out to be the victim. Mm-hmm. Those people were mean to me and I didn't mean to kill them, but, you know, I had to because they were, they embarrassed me and they hurt me. And his mom bought every word of it. This 70 year old woman thought, oh my God, like they were so cruel to him. She defended him just like she had when he was locked up the first time. 30 years previous. She said, and this is like, I literally typed this as I watched her saying this. Quote. Todd is not a monster. He's never been a monster. He's not even close to it. He did some bad things, but a monster? No. Ted Bundy I'd call a monster. But Todd? He wasn't doing it for enjoyment. He was doing it because he was mad and he was hurt. She even blamed Charlie for his own murder, saying that he was a smart aleck and he was melting off. So, now I can kind of understand why Todd had this mentality
2: Mm -hmm.
0: if this is how he had learned you know like this was the person who raised him for the most part
1: yeah but you don't explain away these uh like animal mutilations and the the rape that he thought was okay to do well and he knew it wasn't okay to do but he was more interested in the outcome and not getting caught. Yeah, yeah. You don't explain that away with parenting.
0: No, no, no. And I'm not. I'm just saying.
1: I just want to be clear because yeah, yeah. that's what you're coming across. Sorry, as, yeah. I'm even not. though I know that's not what you're thinking. Yeah. Or how you mean to say it.
0: It just kind of checks another list. Yeah. All right. No. Sorry, it checks another box on the Definitely
1: list. Definitely not just not saying that she didn't. She came out of this a hundred percent, Scott, clear because. I, I understand the dynamic between a mother and a child. You probably will always see that child as or that your son or daughter as a child because of, you know, like yeah, I, you know No what matter
0: mean? what. Yeah, yeah. I mean if Pork Chop this, killed a mouse, yeah, I would say it was the mouse's fault.
1: Right. But at <laughs> this at this level of delusion.
0: Yeah, right. That's what that's what I'm trying to convey here. Like yeah. just how fucking ignorant. Yeah. This woman is.
1: At this point, the level of delusion is just astronomical.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. So now that his mommy is on his side and, you know, well, my mommy said it was okay. (laughs) (laughs) He then went back to the detectives Mm -hmm. and he said. The same thing. (laughs) No, no, no. He switched. Ah. He said, I've got something big for you. Mm Mm-hmm. This is when he tells them all about the superbike murders. Now, let me tell you. I watched an hour of this guy in the fucking confession room while the policeman was trying to document every single word. It was a slow hour. Yeah. (laughs) Believe me, because Todd would, you know, Todd would talk about how much he could gun because how much gun could a gun nerd gun if a gun nerd gun... gun? i wrote that last night <laughs> i thought it would be funny <laughs> <laughs> was, turns out it's really hard to say after an hour of spewing i thought it'd be
1: a hit <laughs> facts. yeah
0: how much gun could a gun nerd gun if a gun nerd could nerd gun almost almost 99 percent. everything he said the policeman would try and write down and no offense to the or the detective he was a slow writer uh, so he'd be like yeah i walked in and i shot him and he'd be like oh hold on hold on there now Walked in and shot him. Okay, Okay, and then what?
1: (laughs) All right, so this is past the 2000s. Like, they have recorders
0: for this. Literally, I'm watching this. Why didn't they just get somebody to transcribe it later?
1: (laughs) Or a recording device.
0: They were recording it with a camera. It's recorded on the video.
1: They could go back and write shit down.
0: Exactly. But I think it must have been something to do with they needed a handwritten report.
1: Strange. Um, Oh, like a confession? Sign the fucking (laughs) videotape.
0: Anyway, it was painstaking to watch, but he is the exact type of person that I know I cannot get along with. Aside from the fact that he murdered these people, obviously.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing we don't have in common.
0: Yeah, but he... Like, we've all met this personality type. Oh, absolutely. we've all worked with this one type of guy. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I don't know how you describe it exactly, but, like, As he's telling the detectives what he did, he was practically begging them to say, oh, wow, like, that's, that's amazing. Like, tell us what happened next.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, he would literally say things like, I cleared that place out in a matter of seconds. You would have been impressed. And the detectives, in their defense, like, they would not rise to his prompts. They were just trying to get as much detail in this confession as they could. Mm hmm. But like, it was painfully embarrassing mm-hmm. listening to him trying to impress these guys. Mm-hmm. Like it was literally a pissing contest.
1: <laughs> you were getting secondhand embarrassment.
0: Yeah. I was cringing the whole time. And it was a really good glimpse at how sad and lonely he must have been throughout mm-hmm. his whole life. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> like,
0: it's something kind of fucking crazy, nice about it. Kind of like my own personal revenge is just being like, oh.
1: Good, no one will love you.
0: Yeah. So he'd also, like, he'd try and reel them in by saying, like, oh, and I know why they never found fingerprints on the shell casings. And then, like, the detectives the would be quiet, like, writing their things. And uh, then he would just continue as if somebody had said, oh, really? Like, yeah. he was basically being, like more and he's uh, like, oh who said that like, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay <laughs> I'll tell you more um, but yeah like he would go on he'd be like yep wore two pairs of gloves every time I loaded a magazine whether I was practicing or not two pairs of gloves every single time I loaded a weapon yep <laughs> two pairs of gloves <laughs> and the police just continued to write him because he kept fucking talking and every time he spoke they would have to write and he was still there Two pairs of gloves I wore, literally dying for them to ask him why he wore two pairs of gloves. Please tell us, please tell us why you wore two pairs of gloves. And (laughs) they did not act impressed in the slightest in their defense. They were just, I I wonder if they would have, if he
1: would have divulged more details.
0: Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, they can't, like, they can't lean into that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? This confession needs to be solely him. Ah. Like, all that shit can come out later Mm -hmm. when, like, you know. Interviews with psychiatrists and stuff
1: Or in the courts
0: Yeah But it was I
1: guess he could be like Objection Leading the witness
0: Yeah (laughs) Or
1: some weird shit like that No
0: that's exactly what it is Yeah right But it was just So satisfying Watching him like Edging himself closer to Like giving all this detail That nobody fucking cared about Yeah He also didn't seem to talk that much To the younger of the two detectives I noticed Mm -hmm. But like he would only address The more senior one. And as he was telling them about how much of a good job he had done killing the four unarmed people in the bike shop, he was saying how it kind of felt like a video game. And he was like, you know, oh, one, once I started shooting, I just, you know, was so focused. And he'd be like, I mean, you know how it is to the older detective. And mm-hmm. the guy just said fucking nothing. And again, it, it was just the whole thing was a painful experience for everyone involved watching this pathetic human. He, he was just trying so hard to make a human connection, but he just, he didn't have the human part that was needed to do, to make yeah, that connection. Yeah, yeah. And it did remind me a little bit of Ed Kemper, mm. but I feel like Kemper was not this desperate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kemper had like a good rapport with, with the officers and stuff like that. Probably too much because he was so likable.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: This guy wanted that. Yeah. But he was just such a fucking asshole that. Yeah. Nobody likes him. He also confessed to murdering the Coxies, saying it was pretty much just exactly how he went on with Kayla and Charlie. He killed Johnny and chained Megan up in the shipping container, but he killed her just a few days later. Kayla said something along the lines of that she figured out pretty early on that if she just listened to this guy fucking waffling and bullshit in his way and just put up with whatever it was that he wanted. She knew she would survive. Mm -hmm. Whereas she thinks maybe Megan just was trying to fight too much and that's not, I'm not trying to fucking victim blame him, just that's why he just did away with her. She was too much of an effort, of a hassle for him. And it's also really sad because there's very little detail about those two people. Like in this whole thing, there's huge amounts on the sports bike people because they were, you know, upstanding parts of the community and that's fair. And then Kayla and Charlie, Kayla was, you know, survived thankfully. But then the Coxies are just mentioned very briefly a lot of the time. Oh, and the last thing I'll say, well, before I say all the rest of this
2: stuff,
0: (laughs) is I'm not making fun of anyone. This is just an observation. I mean, I can hardly judge somebody for their weight or the way that they look. But Todd Colap has huge, big old titties. (laughs) 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 And... Yeah, they were That's like gigantic. Not what I was <laughs> I you to say. Every time I saw footage of him, I'd just be like, "How? How did this guy take himself fucking seriously?" Anyway, moving on, moving on. Just to give another idea of how delusional he was, a man who lived next to Cole next to the big property. This guy lived in a trailer on a neighboring property, and he said that they would walk the perimeter every now and then. Like they weren't close or anything; they would just have a walk around. But Cole told him a story of how. He and his father had flown in a helicopter overseas and used guns to circle around and, quote, mow down a village after villagers had shot at their helicopter. The guy says, quote, I thought it was just BS. He wanted to be a G.I. Joe, you know, he talked the talk. He knew all about guns. He just bored me whenever he talked about guns. (laughs) I was like, yeah, good for you, man. Fuck that guy. Cole had made passing remarks about other victims, uh, saying, "I fucking didn't write down the highway, but it was, I think, a highway in Arizona."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he said, "Oh yeah, I buried two people on the, like, basically in the hard shoulder just off the highway." He led police on seemingly a wild goose chase to try and find this other buried couple. Also, Kayla had said that he told them of four bodies on his property; they only found three: mm-hmm. the two Coxies and Charles. So, like I said, they didn't find any more or anything and basically just said, look, seven's enough. Like we can lock him down with all this typical police story. Part of me understands it. You know, like I get it. Get the guy locked down before the case can get fucked up or anything. It's released. They had enough good evidence for him to be locked up for life. And so they decided not to spend any more time on this case. The case that honestly pretty much fell right open in their fucking laps after they did nothing basically for two months yeah his mom died after a long illness in april 2017 at the age of 70 and i know that probably seems like a random little tidbit but it just fits in here chronologically because on may 26th 2017 had pleaded guilty to seven counts of murder two counts of kidnapping and one count of criminal sexual assault, and was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole in a plea bargain that spared him from capital punishment. Mm -hmm. This caused uproar. People wanted him on death row immediately, Mm -hmm. all that. I'm still very, I'm not pro-death row or anything like that. But the owner of the bike shop, Scott Ponder, his son, who was named after his dad that he never met, Mm-hmm. he spoke out in court as a 12 or 13 year old and said he didn't want Colhep to get the death penalty, he wanted him to basically rot in a cell for the rest of his life not in those exact words but he said enough people have died at the hands of this man I just thought like for a 12 or 13 year old kid, he really got up and said his part, it was really he's a brave kid, you know what I mean like his dad's murderer was in the courtroom and mm-hmm. he looked him in the eyes and told him this on November 28, 2017, Cole Kohlhepp wrote an eight-page letter to the Herald-Journal stating that he does in fact have more victims who have not been discovered. He said, quote, I tried to tell investigators and I did tell the FBI, but it was blown off. It's not an addition problem, it's a multiplication problem. And then he said, leaves the state and leaves the country. Thank you, private pilot's license. He also added, at this point, I really don't see a reason to give numbers or locations. Apparently, the FBI are looking into it, but they refused to comment in 2017. But like such a big part to me is like, you know, I get it. He committed mass murder and he is a serial killer and he's very proud of that. This was probably the best time of his life. Mm hmm reading all the newspaper articles about himself and seeing pictures on the evening news, all this bullshit. So maybe he has more people that he killed. Probably. Maybe he is just trying to get his name in the papers again. Yeah. He did apparently have a ridiculous amount of guns and ammo, like a fucking arsenal Mm -hmm. in that little uh, connex, or in that building or in the shipping container. I'm not sure which. And the guy who sold them to him sold them knowing that he was a felonious criminal who couldn't buy his own guns. Okay. So he was arrested and charged with that. The families of the victims sued Kohlhepp with one family asking for 20 million. Kohlhepp took the stand himself and asked something along the lines of, you really think that's a realistic number for just one person? Basically telling this family that their son didn't mean that much. Mm Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, these types of figures, like, I don't know how lawsuits and that work. Mm
1: -hmm. But I know
0: that that's all, like, you shoot for the stars and then whatever you come out with kind of thing. Yeah. And I really tried to look into the outcome of these lawsuits, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't find them anywhere. All I know is that all of his estate was auctioned off and the proceeds were divvied up. Also, there was a pretty big reward in the early 2000s when the Superbike massacre happened.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Kayla got that good yeah because she She was was the one who broke the news
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, and i also know that kayla got 6.3 million out of her requested 363 million again i don't know how that fucking works but like her psychiatrist said like she's obviously going to need help for the rest of her life yeah but this woman kayla brown is an absolute fucking trooper like not only did she make sure police knew everything that Cole had told her straight away. But she also stood up in court, faced him, looked him dead in the eye, said her piece, And also like went on like Dr. Phil and shit like that. She was not quiet about any of this. She wanted him. She wanted to see him suffer. And not only for what he did to her, but all his other victims.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And when Eminem referenced her in his song, The Ringer from his kamikaze album, a spokesperson for her said, quote, it was a clever line that rhymed and we'd like to leave it at that.
1: <laughs> what was the line?
0: Savage, but ain't thinking about no bank account. I'm off the chain like Kayla Brown. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> As, well, I don't know if, if we all know, but Eminem is super up to date on his true crime. Loves true crime documentaries, loves serial killer stories. I had no idea. He is mega into... Slasher movies, as well, are like his genre of horror that he goes for. Mm. So, you know, when stuff like this happens, I'm pretty sure he also uh, referenced Ariel Castro mm. in one of his songs before. I'm not it, saying it's a good or a bad thing, but I appreciated Caleb Brown's attitude towards it.
1: I wonder if that's why um, the muscles on his face don't work, and so bad that people on the internet have to Photoshop smiles on him.
0: He's just too fucking tough to smile, okay?
1: <laughs> if you haven't Googled Eminem smiling, what the fuck are you doing right now? You get, stop listening to us right now. Just pause it.
0: Right, you can keep listening, but no, no, also no, no, just no, no, open no. up Google.
1: Yeah. look. Never up,
0: stop listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> look up Eminem smiling. Look at that shit.
0: Yeah, it'll make your day. Certainly has made Dulce's day on a few occasions.
1: Yes. I, this is one of those things that I fucking look at and I laugh. I, I LOL.
0: Yeah, she does. I do LOL.
1: When I saw, when I Googled Eminem mom spaghetti, (laughs) (laughs) yes. yes. I ROFL'd.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. So look. Apologies if I missed anything in this episode. I really did my best to cover as many different sources, possibilities as as I could. I tried to find a book, but none has been written yet. Um, and honestly, I don't know if there's a book's worth of information out there either. Yeah. I'm sure over time, this piece of shit will talk with any interviewer that Possibly gets access to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right now, he's still uh, just sitting, rotting away in jail. I couldn't find out anything. Yay. Yeah. And I'm going to end this whole fucking ordeal with the words from Murray Glenn, a spokesperson for the Spartanburg County prosecutor, whose name might be backwards. I don't know. Murray Glenn. But he really put it perfectly when he said, Cole Hep is, quote, an attention seeker who needs to stay in prison and be forgotten. I thought that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so simple.
1: You said like I feel like that's some shit that Hank Hill would share <laughs> those sentiments with you. You know what I'm saying? It's probably the same feeling he gets when he reads the label off a propane tank. <laughs> yeah. Blue Rhino propane. Man, that's that's beautiful. great marketing. <laughs> that's just beautiful.
0: No, and you know why though? It's because In case you haven't noticed, I'm quite the rambler. Like when I try to make one point. Yeah. When I make (laughs) one point, I'll be like, I have a red bookies cup. But I will say, I have a red. Oh, okay. Well, we went to bookies one time and I was like, oh, look at all these cups.
1: And none of them were red. None of them were red. Except the one cup I found. And you'll never guess where. Clothing. Clothing department. Yeah. That's where I found it. And And I wasn't even looking for cups. (laughs) I was looking for fudge. Yep. Yep.
0: (laughs) But now I have this red book. He's called. So when I see a sentence so crisp and so clean, let me read it again. Let me me read this again. Hold on. Hold on, everybody. Just just bear with me now. Cole Hep is an attention seeker who needs to stay in prison and be forgotten. Beautiful. That is beautiful. I might get that tattooed.
2: You're so strange
0: <laughs> <laughs> so look that's that's your episode this week i am I am literally sweating from my armpits. I need to shower after that. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too boring because I know it was like just a big wall of fucking information.
1: no, it wasn't boring. I just was just over here stewing at how what a piece of shit this guy yeah, is! Yeah,
0: like really and truly, he is a and,
1: true shit stain if I've ever heard of one.
0: Yeah, and like I, as well, I really do try to not just be like, oh, I fucking hate this guy, but this guy in particular, yeah, yeah. was the type of guy that I could never yeah. get along with.
1: <laughs> you know, I was actually sitting here trying to figure out the differences between because Ariel Castro did the same thing that he did to Nicole meant. because when both of them went to court. Or they both confessed to keeping them trapped and assaulting them, forcing them to do these things. In their minds, it was well. No, I. They were willing. Yeah, yeah. But one ended up being a suicide, and this guy, I highly doubt he would ever off himself.
0: No, he's he loves himself way too much. much of a big ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like. Look, if you're interested, go on YouTube, look at the interview. And
1: you know what? For all I know, Ariel Castro didn't kill himself. He probably, maybe he was murdered.
0: Maybe, maybe. You know? But go watch this interview. After about five minutes worth of this guy talking, you're going to hate him too. And if you don't, you need to go get that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the problem. <laughs> man, man has himself a nice set of guns. <laughs> Knows how to use them. Drives himself BMW. Fine working man. Honest. Tough. Yeah, he kept some girls tied up. He killed some men, but heck, maybe they deserved it. Yeah. So if you're that person, go take yourself to a fucking doctor. <laughs> go see someone. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. No, I feel like if you're that type of person, you're not listening to this anyway. Absolutely not. Um, And with that, I've taken up enough of your time. Dulce is going to bring us a rockin' ass story next week.
1: And we're going to detox. From this, yeah, and come back to you with another story.
0: Yep, that's it. If you're not following us on Instagram, make sure to reach out. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts right now, please do us a favor: open up that app, rate five stars, and review Mm -hmm. because I well apparently it helps with the the algorithm and stuff like that. And to be honest, we just like seeing that coming in.
1: And in if you mess with the crabo. Just know, you get the stabo.
0: This is true. So also, don't forget that our Patreon now has a $2 tier, $5 tier, $10 tier. Sign up on any of those and you will get all the extra content.
1: And that's it. And
0: that, yeah, that, that's fucking it.
1: Yeah, we're going to close this up because I'm fucking starving.
0: Oh, are you? Yes. I'm going to take you out for something nice to eat to celebrate my new job.
2: <laughs> and my
0: social security number Stop!
2: is...